0: Live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C.
1: Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the Internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. you're listening to the tidbit brought to you by curate we are live at the line hotel in washington dc and i'm your host and the ceo of curate kim bryden do you run a small business or have dreams to start one Well, here at the tidbit we've got your back each week we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens On our last episode, we talked with a local export importer about the importance of building sustainable supply chains and how she's creating direct relationships with farmers abroad to have a transparent and, moreover, more control, essentially, of the end-to-end experience. And I wanted to learn how large companies are approaching their supply chain challenges, which is why when I stumbled upon an article headlined, Chipotle is putting farmers under contracts to prevent carne asada shortages. I was so intrigued. The article goes on to read, The fast casual restaurant chain is offering three-year contracts to farmers under 40 if they meet certain standards. Chipotle is also donating funds to farms and partnering with the National Young Farmers Coalition. By focusing on young farmers in particular, Chipotle hopes that both to target a demographic that may be especially interested in the type of ethical, sustainable farming Chipotle wants, and help make sure that farming itself remains of sustainable vocation. This is fascinating, right? I mean, is this too good to be true? This is exactly the type of strategic alignment and a true mutually beneficial relationship that I like to hear about. For example, when we're working with our buyer customers at Curate, we're sourcing based on the demand need that that particular account has. So this, to me, seems like a very well-identified demand need that consistently fell short on supply. So what better way to have more control and transparency into your carne asada production than to reinvest into young farmers? And you know, who knows? Maybe they just also are your prime target demographic for your end product. So this seems really uh, smart on all ends to me. Uh, this piece closes with a quote from Sophie Akoff, who's the co-executive director of the National Young Farmers Coalition. We're facing a crisis of attrition in agriculture that's really threatening the future of our food supply. Whew. So in the name of efficiency and the advent of globalization that's happened over the past decades, maybe century, we've been even more removed from each piece of the supply chain funnel, which then creates a lack of transparency and a lack of control on your supply, which includes the quality and the cost. So on today's show, I wanted to learn more about the business case as to why Chipotle would want to do something like this. So I contacted the writer of this piece, Danielle Wiener-Bronner, to chat with us about supply chain and her experience overall covering the food sector for CNN business. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Danielle. you are listening to The Tidbit. I'm your show host and CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. We are here with Danielle Wiener-Bronner, who covers the food sector for CNN Business. Hey, Danielle. Hi, Kim. How are you? Thanks for joining today. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get into your article, I would love to learn more about your story. How did you get to this beat? And why do you feel the food sector is of particular interest for you to cover?
0: Sure. So uh, I've been with CNN Business about three and a half years. Um, I was uh, writing breaking news for our business team for a while. Mm. And then about a year and a half ago, I transitioned to the food and bed sector. Um, Full disclosure, it was assigned to me. My editors were like, you've been writing a lot about food. Let's see how you do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it was partially my interest and partially uh, my editor's decision. But Food is such a fascinating beat, um you know, especially because the brands that I write about and the companies that I write about are so familiar and people have such an emotional attachment, whether it's to Chipotle or McDonald's or Starbucks or Burger King. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, these are kind of the, the chains and the restaurants that everyone is familiar with, even if you don't frequent them. Um, and then, of course, food itself is something that everyone thinks about and uh, is concerned about in terms of health and uh, price and preference. And it's a very emotional topic. So it's been really fun to cover. And um, especially when you get to kind of peel back the layers of the connection between that consumer-facing company like Chipotle and how it relates to its supply chain and how it relates to its farmers and ingredients. You know, there's a whole kind of behind-the-scenes um, picture that people don't always
1: see. Absolutely. I was actually in a discussion recently with a group of friends who wanted to understand, yeah, the business side of the restaurant industry. And and to me, who's in the thick of it day in and day out, I, I think about plate costs and margins and mm-hmm. how many people are coming in and out of a door during a lunch rush and what the ticket size is. And, uh, you know, to most Consumers, that is not even something that crosses their mind, and so I feel I couldn't agree with you more. Food is such a beautiful way of um, relating to people, and also drawing really important lessons for people to learn. Again, whether it's about health, sanitation, business case, like it's just a very easy way for someone to grasp a concept using food as that, um, yeah, baseline commonality that we all experience. Absolutely. And I, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I read your piece, of course. I'll just say it again. The headline's so punchy. Chipotle is putting farmers under contracts to prevent carne asada shortages. And I was immediately interested in hearing your perspective on this story. Why do you think big, fast, casual chains are starting to be more mindful about their supply chains? Yeah, so I think, you know... um all restaurant chains and, and businesses really
0: are constantly thinking about their supply chain. It's really, we tend not to hear about it, but we notice it when something goes wrong. So if mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, two years ago in the UK, KFC had to shut down for a couple of days, I think, because they... um Ran out of chicken, <laughs> so when that happens, you notice. But most of the time, you walk into a McDonald's or a KFC and or a Chipotle, and you have everything that you want, and it's the same price, and you're not really noticing those kind of minor fluctuations that tend to happen on the supply chain. I think what was interesting um, with the with this piece and this case was that Chipotle, um, Chipotle in particular, has a very specific. Um, image, and they know yeah. that their customers are interested in authenticity. They they like telling customers, you know, people come into Chipotle every morning and they're chopping up the peppers and they're preparing everything fresh. And that they un- they um, unveiled a campaign last year um, that I think was called Behind the Foil. But basically, the idea was to let consumers see just how real the food is that's right. really important to them right so for so for chipotle in particular it makes sense to say we want to make sure that we have not only uh, the type of meat that we need for the carne asada dish but also that we know where it's coming from and that we feel comfortable with how um it comes to us and that it meets our standards and they from the get-go, when they were testing carne asada they had a couple of things in mind. I think one of them was making sure, do we have enough of this because we have these certain principles and because we don't want to take just any meat. So they kind of, they tested it out. They also wanted to make sure that people responded to it and that people were comfortable with the price. And they kind of have a very controlled testing phase. Um, I So the uh, the supply chain side of it was just a part of it, but of course a vital one to make sure that they have enough.
1: Totally. And I wonder, too, I mean, the other piece of this I thought was so fascinating was the specificity of wanting to work with farmers under 40. And Mm -hmm. I was, you know, sort of calling this out, but not only is that a target demographic that one would want to support, um, you know, making sure farming is a sustainable vocation moving forward in Mm -hmm. this world we're living in, but also I would begged to differ. That's also Chipotle's target customer, right? Those yeah. who are under 40. And so I think it was just a very interesting piece of this equation, too. Of course, monitoring the supply for making, you know, like you just said, making sure they have enough, that the cost was right, but also the specificity of who they decided they wanted to partner with on a longer-term contract basis is very interesting. Right. I think you know, when we think about
0: sustainability, there are a few different meanings to that word. One of them is longevity and making sure that there is a pipeline of young farmers who are continuing this business and who aren't saying it's too difficult, it's, you know, the incentive isn't there for me. So I think for them strategically, it makes it makes sense to target kind of the younger generation who is going to be the future. Mm-hmm. This industry, especially now, we saw in 2019 farm, bankrupt- farm bankruptcies were up. So right. especially for a company like Chipotle, which has these standards and also knows that its customers want to know what it's doing. they One of the things that companies um, say over and over is, we're following our consumers and our consumers want a brand that aligns with our values. Yes. So it's really important for them both practically to make sure that they have what they need and also in terms of the messaging to the customer saying, we are seeing what's out there and we want to be a part of the solution that makes people feel good about coming into Chipotle.
1: Definitely. You know, as we're talking about this, I just, it's coming more and more to the forefront of my mind that fast casual restaurants in particular are almost more um, productized. I don't even know if that's a word, but they're more like a product in so that people are craving a consistency of experience. Whereas if you're going into um, a sit-down restaurant, full-service restaurant, you can be more, um, uh, things can ebb and flow on the menu because people have this expectation that things may change based on seasonality, etc. But then when you get into the production of a product, people want, again, that expectation or consistency of experience and what the end result of what they're consuming is like. And so I think this is a very interesting piece as both, Again, a CPG, a consumer package a good product, a la, an ice cream, or mm-hmm. um going into Chipotle and getting your carne asada bowl, what are the elements of that dish or that product where you can be mindful about your sourcing and your supply chain to really tell that story? And what are the other elements of that product? The sugar, the rice. Like there are certain things that maybe you can have on more of a commodity market scale, but there are other elements to the kit of parts that really align with your values. And that's something that we talk a lot about with entrepreneurs we work with is how are you still communicating the set of values you have in building these stakeholder relationships if the totality of the product you're producing, not every, not every ingredient can be maybe as sustainable, you know, as organic, et cetera, et cetera, because mm-hmm. it may price you out of the potential opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I think with a lot of um, what we're seeing with both fast food and I believe fast casual chains as well, there is this evolution. So something that maybe wasn't so important to consumers a few years ago uh-huh. is Yeah, so it might be that people are more mindful of antibiotics use in their meat or, you know, are the eggs cage free and those types of things that maybe a decade ago, that wasn 't something they, that the companies really were messaging because nobody was really thinking about it, or at least not at such a large scale as what we 're seeing today it 's kind of a, another corollary is when it comes to plastic waste and so yes. suddenly we see a lot of companies saying we want to make sure our products are recyclable, we want to figure out ways to help take uh, plastic waste out of the environment that 's something that they're moving as consumer as the mainstream consumer is evolving. Um, And those also require conversations with the supply chain, because if, um, you know, in in McDonald's, this is more of a tasting, but when they switched from frozen to fresh beef, that certainly had an impact on their supply chain. And they had to make sure that that was if they were going to message out that this is the change that they're making, that they were able to have the right supply and that they could deliver on that promise to consumers.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Let's actually take another micro break here because then I want to get into more of these tips and advice you might have for a burgeoning uh, small business owner in this process. <laughs> Are back. You're listening to the tidbit. I'm Kim Bryden, your host and CEO of Curate, and we're here with Danielle Wiener Bronner, CNN business writer covering the food sector. Hey, Danielle. Hi, Kim. <laughs> so, like we were just talking about, of course, in any marketplace, there has to be both supply, in this case, meat, to meet a growing demand a la Chipotle. So, how do you think both sides of this supply chain can better prepare? in order to meet the needs of one another. I mean, fundamentally, this is relationship building, no? <laughs>
0: yeah. So I think, you know, from what I've seen, and I, I, um, I wouldn't give advice for my perch as, as a journalist, but I can tell you what I've observed and what seems to be yeah. um, working. I think that a lot of it is about communication. And I think that the companies that are able to kind of um, – Roll with the changes because that's what this is all about. It's not that hard to forecast if everything is perfect. You can say, "All right, if you know demand grows by this much, then we'll need supply to grow by this much." But things change, and consumer preferences change, and um, crops fail, and you know there there are so many different potential disruptions that could and and sometimes do happen. And mm-hmm. I think that the the tighter the company is with their suppliers, and the more um, the the, the when the communication flows i think that can help
1: yeah
0: um i think that it also you're right it is relationships i think a lot of the more um both on the kind of long standing food giants like mcdonalds that has been kind of dominating for decades and also the up and comers like a mm-hmm. shake shack or mm-hmm. a chipotle they have relationships with their suppliers and um they source things very intentionally and very specifically. Yeah. So I think that a lot of it is to do with how closely you're talking to your suppliers, and how do you have that relationship that can kind of um, withstand those ebbs and flows and those unexpected
1: that changes. test of time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's an up-and-coming fast casual here called Little Sesame. In fact, one of the co-founders was on this show a few episodes ago. So, listener, get back in your queue and take a listen to it with Dave Weissman. Um, But what they do is um, fast casual um, hummus bowls. And they Mm. have a direct relationship with their chickpea farmer. Because, obviously, that is a (laughs) core staple product Mm -hmm. of their entire supply chain. So, it would be... Wild to not have, um, yeah, that direct communication line and be able to mutually plan together. And I think that's what really struck me about your piece and, and what I really wanted to get across in, in this episode. The, the tidbit of knowledge, if you will, is that being in business requires these mutually beneficial relationships, and how are you growing together, as opposed mm-hmm. to just seeing one side as like, "Well, I'm buying from you, so like you better you know, meet my demand. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's a strange that can sometimes be a very strange power dynamic. Like both need to be in symbiosis with one another. Right. And I think if
0: you know, that relationship should be symbiotic and I think that for the successful relationships it is, because mm-hmm. if the supplier it can rely on you as a client and a the customer, then they'll be more willing to stretch and to to, you know, potentially try something new.
1: Totally. I think
0: you know even with kind of the younger companies like Impossible Foods that has um, spoken about their shortages and it, for them it's um, the issue that they had was mostly to do with capacity they, mm-hmm. the demand was growing so quickly that their factory just wasn't big enough, and they mm-hmm. have since formed partnerships and um, kind of taken other measures. but with them, I think they they do work with the QSRs that they serve, they come up with new products and um, specifically for, you know, whatever restaurant it may be. And you can kind of see that relationship building happen in real time.
1: Totally. Uh, You just said QSR. So I want to just define for everyone (laughs) QSR is quick service restaurant. Yeah, too much jargon. Yes, yeah, No, no, no. I'm I'm down for it. We yeah. gotta have a whole jargon sheet for the tidbit sometimes, <laughs> right? Um, but this is a great point and really perfect segue because I am impossible, super um, of the moment right now. Perhaps a product that will stand the test of time. Who knows? But I'm wondering, what do you see as an industry shift in how people are buying, both on the on the big business side? But also as consumers, I mean, you cover this, you know, all day, every day, like, what are you seeing as these emerging ways people are looking to buy?
0: So I think on the on the consumer side, there is more of an awareness of um, environmental impact Mm -hmm. and health. And I think that people can define that differently. So you might say, I'm a meat eater and I think that I should reduce my meat intake and I'm going to try out these Impossible or Beyond burgers. Um, or you might say, I am a meat eater and I think I eat the right amount, but maybe every once in a while I'll swap to an Impossible because I'm worried about what the, the impact that meat has
1: mm-hmm.
0: on the environment. So I think for people there's just a little bit more of an awareness, and not for everyone, of course, and also some people have had this type of awareness for way longer, but in terms of kind of a a sea change, there is more of a thought about what my diet is doing to the planet. Right. Um, The other thing I think that's happening is there's so much more choice, Mm -hmm. Um, and there are also different ways to eat. It used to be that there were very few mainstream chains that delivered. Now Mm -hmm. a lot of them do. So people have choices in terms of where they can order delivery from. They can. They also have choices in terms of where they're going, as they always have. But um, kind of on restaurant shelves, we're seeing more products pop up. There's kind of a fragmentation on that side of it. So I think from the consumer perspective, there's a change in both the thought process behind what should I eat today? And also there is just a, a lot of new options. Yes. Yeah. Um, From the big business side, they're seeing that too when they're responding. So they're testing out new products. They're, I think, doing that very quickly. Now we're seeing things come to market. Um, at An accelerated pace. Dunkin' Donuts, when they tested out their Beyond Meat breakfast sandwich, they had a a timeline that they shortened because they saw how people were responding to that initial New York City test. Mm -hmm. So we do see... um, there, that symbiotic relationship that that should exist between the supplier and the restaurant chain certainly exists between the customer and the restaurant, so they see what people want and what they're responding to, and they're they're rushing to meet them
1: absolutely uh, something we often say at curate is that every day you are an investor with your dollar <laughs> like, <laughs> you do not need to be. Mark Cuban on Shark Tank to make an impact every day with deciding where you're putting your money. And we're saying that both as consumers, we can make that choice, but also we work B2B. So with our businesses, we also say, what, how are you moving your money? Is it from one multinational to another multinational? Or are you being conscious of your supply chain and who you're empowering with that week over week purchase? Um, Mm -hmm. And that has been something that's really been resonating based on exactly what you're talking about. Some people buy based on environmental impact and sustainability metrics as it relates to the health and wellness of our planet. Other people see economic impact. Who are we supporting? Is it women-owned businesses, people of color-owned businesses? Is it making sure that that entity we're buying from has a living wage for all of their employees? And I feel like that can sometimes feel very overwhelming to people who are buying because there are so many different values people may ascribe to these days. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really wonderful opportunity for any entrepreneur or small business owner to really differentiate themselves against a larger corporation or business to say, this is what we stand for and this is what we're going to practice, what we preach, um, you know, through the examples of again how we're hiring how we 're sourcing, how we are bringing this product to market so yeah i I think it's so fascinating to see how this consumer or dare I say citizen of this world um, is really affecting the way our money's moving um, from in these big business scenarios
0: yeah, and we do to go back to the um the packaging example, I think that's what we're seeing where mm-hmm. people where they have a growing awareness of what, of what happens when you toss out your, uh, your soda cup or your coffee cup. Your, people are starting to wonder, where does that end up? And we see that kind of funneling back to companies saying, okay, we need to figure out a way to, to both share what we're doing and also make sure that what we're doing is going to make people feel comfortable.
1: Absolutely. So Danielle, where can we find you online and read more of your articles if we want to learn more? Um, Well, you can find me on
0: Twitter. I'm at DWBronner. But most of all of my stories are for CNN Business. So I've got an author page over there. If you want to take a look at my work, it's all there
1: amazing thank you so much for joining us and listener did you know that the tidbit is derived from a bi-weekly newsletter that we send out at curate in it we discuss what we're reading eating drinking listening to and learning five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game so head over to curate.co c-u-r-e-a-t-e.co to sign up and we would love if more budding entrepreneurs and listeners like you could find out about the tidbit our mission at Curate has always included the sharing of education and access to resources and the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review in iTunes and it is a goal of mine to hit 20 reviews this year 20 in 2020 can you help me get there I would love it (laughs) so head on over to your app let us know what you learned here today a little tidbit of knowledge and until next time remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally